Hi there. A quick note about today's episode. There is a slight crackle you'll notice a few times uh, during during the episode. This is something that we have solved since then, but this is the last episode that you might notice a slight little artifact here and there. But hopefully you find the episode so wonderful you don't even notice it. Anyway, back to the episode. Thanks so much. Hey, Katie, do you like peas? Uh-huh. Do you like them so much? I do. Do you want to marry them? Okay, no. Oh, well, then you're not like Gregor Mendel. Hello and welcome to Science Brunch. I'm Mae Prince and I'm here with Katie McKissick. Yeah, that's me. And this episode is slightly different because usually... <laughs> Sorry, I'm already laughing. <laughs> we coordinate ahead of time. Yes, and... here's the deal. <laughs> we, we messed up. Usually we each research as scientists independently and then we're kind of talking about it la- later. So one person kind of is in the know and one person is, is only armed with what they remember from school. So it's kind of, it's kind of fun that way. But guess what? This week, we both researched Gregor Mendel. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so we're going to have a totally uh, conversation where no one can understand us because <laughs> we both know the same stuff. We'll just nod just, at each just other kidding, the Just kidding, no. yeah, we'll just kidding. It was completely my fault. I found the note uh, in, my, in my notebook later, but whatever. We're just going to do it. It's fine. So it's Mendel time, and we both researched him, so we're going to be comparing notes. This is, I'm, I'm up for this. I think this is going to be cool. We didn't really do any prep, so let's see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are just coming along with us on this experiment. Experiment. Guess what? Ooh. It's science fiction. It's experiment. I love it. It's totally thematic. <laughs> I'm, I'm so down with this. I don't know about you. But before we get to our friend, Greg, uh-huh. um, let's, I, I have some a science story I want to share from the week that Please. really cracked me up. Okay. So did you hear about the octopus that escaped? I saw a headline. I did not read the article. Okay. So, I mean, it's pretty typical. I I love that the octopus's name is Inky. (laughs) So adorable. So this was in New Zealand, New Zealand. This particular octopus um, was not born in captivity. It yearned to return to the ocean. Hmm. And so it did. So basically, octopuses, and it's not octopi. Do you know why it's not octopi and it's octopuses? So here's the thing. So like the use, like alumnus, alumni is is as a latin situation so right. that's why the you know singular is us well actually masculine, masculine singular, singular is us right. the feminine singular is uh so i'm an alumna and then the plural is i but but uh but puss the us uh-huh. is not a latin ending like that it's puss is in like pa like pod or you know foot okay. in greek okay. so because it's a greek root and it actually means foot it's not just a an us ending to signify that it's a masculine singular it's not pie it's it's pusses <laughs> octopuses i should so, say the whole word it sounds so really bad otherwise. If, I, if i'm getting this straight the singular is foot and the plural is feet which is a completely different word but <laughs> that yeah that doesn't but help. we go from puss to pusses yeah there you go <laughs> dude that <laughs> makes total sense yeah so um octopuses are notorious for escaping not necessarily the entire aquarium but a lot of times from their actual enclosure because yeah they're they're, wily they're really only limited in terms of space by their beak the actual which you know we we think about them being so soft the only hard part is their their mouth they have a beak because they're um they're mollusks like clams and other things so that like the hard part of the clam is like think of that as just like the one part but it's you know it's by their mouth and that's what they you know use to to break stuff up but that's it everything else is so malleable wishy and can fit through 
anything. So yeah, they can move through, you know, because then there's all these water pipes, obviously it's an aquarium. So yeah, yeah, like, unless every single thing is covered. I mean, it's like trying to keep a cockroach out of your kitchen or something. It's just like, they can fit through such small spaces that sometimes they just can <laughs> show up so places. So Inky made a break for he it. He made it all the way out. Really? <laughs> he totally <laughs> made his way back to the ocean. <laughs> it's like, bye. I don't really want to be here anymore. the bird with one of its tentacles. Yeah, he, he was captured by some fishermen. And uh-huh. so they, I guess they just kind of brought him to the aquarium, which sounds kind of sweet. They're like, hey, we found this octopus. You guys want it? <laughs> um, but yeah, but Inky was not, not having it. So he or she managed to make his way out through a series of pipes by but i love that um, i've also heard stories of of octopuses uh escaping their enclosure going to other exhibits and eating things yeah and then going back to their own and being like what i didn't do anything <laughs> what see that seems like an ideal situation because then people are just bringing you more snacks they're like oh no we have to replace the fish in this tank oh man <laughs> the um giant pacific octopus which is the the really big one that's really well known for being smart and very inquisitive uh-huh. um, i mean all octopuses are pretty smart but the the giant pacific ones are really well known for that the one at the uh the long beach aquarium near us the uh, aquarium of the pacific the last time I was there, which was a while ago, uh, there was a Mr. Potato Head in its enclosure with it. It was like, here's a toy. Uh, we hope you're not too bored. Because they'll get destructive. They're just like yeah. toddlers. You know, if you don't give them something to do, they'll find something to do. And you might not like what they find. Yeah, so you have to lock them in a room, but then give them something to do. <laughs> just like a toddler. Just like toddlers. Yes, that's exactly. Parenting tips from Katie and May. <laughs> well, I remember seeing that video of like an octopus that was picking up up uh, coconut shells on the ocean floor that had been split in half, you know, by humans. Right. And then they just don't like really decompose and it just picks them up and uses them as armor, basically. Mm-hmm. But it is so freakish to see this octopus pick up a coconut shell and carry it like between some of its tentacles and then like, run across the ocean yeah. floor. <laughs> oh, this looks great. I could use this for something. I know. I was like, oh my God, if they had opposable thumbs, we'd all be doomed. No, I know. It's so crazy. And the, and the giant Pacific ones, they only live for like two years. They're so short-lived. They're so hmm. smart and so interesting, but they're they're not social. Usually animals that are really smart are also very social, but they're this total outlier. You know, they're not they're not even a vertebrate because every other really intelligent species we talk about is gonna be a vertebrate, you know, whether it's ravens and crows or dolphins yeah. or, or chimps and um, yeah, so they're vertebrates and they're not social. So it's like usually you develop these really interesting abilities and, and, you know, your brain gets really big because you have to navigate, you know, the social world and try to figure out what other people are thinking because yeah. it could affect you or whatever. But yeah, they're just like chilling by themselves under a rock for two years. Oh my God. They're thinking just, these deep thoughts. <laughs> just what? Octopuses are just biding their time until the oceans rise and <laughs> then they're just going to take over. Yeah. But anyway, I really like that story. But, and I think, and according to, you know, what I was reading, they're not out looking for him. They was like, well, that's, that's that. <laughs> I think he's gone. <laughs> I think he's gone, everyone. <laughs> We're never going to see him again. Freedom. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's like free Willy, except there's no kid that helps him. Yeah. Right. Did it all on his own. I'm like, sorry. no kid is going to cuddle an octopus. I don't know why octopus. I everything to movies. <laughs> <laughs> do I need to stop doing that? Probably. No, it's our Probably. cultural language. Yeah. This is what we do. And Free Willy is our generation. So anyway, Gregor Mendel. We know a lot about so Gregor much. Mendel now, all including that his name is not Gregor Mendel. I know. Shock. I, I was shocked. I it didn't... Re- okay, so let's let's go back. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> what, what do you remember... I'll tell you what I remember, because you usually remember more things. <laughs> Your brain seems to be better at that. But all I remembered was that he was a monk mm-hmm. who, you know, 
putzed around with pea plants. Honestly, that was my memory. And because he was a monk, and I remember seeing a picture of him in his robes, I always assumed it was like sometime in the Middle Ages because I'm thinking, yeah, pea plants, basic genetic like ideas of heredity. They had to have figured that out a while ago. Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, and it just it sounds so quaint. Oh, he was a monk in Europe. Yeah, and it was a really really long time ago or something. Yeah, yeah, in a galaxy far far away. <laughs> but it, it wasn't. It was very recent. Yeah, it really really was. Um, so it's weird. I mean, for like he overlapped with Darwin quite a bit. They didn't uh-huh. talk in any way. Right. You know, that would have been interesting. Yeah, it's it's just one of those other examples of people kind of working on this, the same puzzle but different corners of it and not you know ever talking to each other or realizing it or anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I remember. I know. I, I remember he was a monk. That really was the extent of what we learned about him personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I assumed he really enjoyed gardening since he spent so much time <laughs> doing it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I did I did understand how many experiments he would have done with these pea plants and just because they take a while to grow, just, I mean, just how much work it would have been. So I did kind of understand that just based on how many things he, he learned from them. But yeah, other than that, as a person, I knew nothing. I mean... He was from the Habsburg Empire, which was run by, I believe, the Germans? The Habs. The Habs. (laughs) The the Habsmans. I know that... I mean, I I read that German was their official language, but people also spoke Czech. Of course, that region is now the Czech Republic. And every time I, you know, would read where he was from, they always were saying, oh, he was German speaking, but but from Austria. Uh I was like, I don't understand the significance of this, but okay, (laughs) that's good to know. Thank you. The Austrians are like, please. But what language did he speak? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, so he was born in Heisendorf. Yep. In 1822. We agree on this. Good. We agree on this. We read read the same one book. (laughs) And his and his and when he was born, his name was Johann. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It's funny because I did what I did start reading. It just kept saying, "Oh yes." And then his monk name or the name he was given when he became a monk was Gregor. Right. But I, it took me a couple sources to find what his original name was because huh. no one ever even set mentioned it unless it was the context of, "Oh yeah." And then his his monk name, his monkey name. No, yeah. not monkey. That's that's a different word. Yeah. Well, it's like Mother Teresa, who remembers her original name. It's probably like Agnes or something. Yeah, it's it's funny that 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 religious thing. I mean, it's not it's not just monks. I mean, taking a new name, oh, for right. your new identity and your new journey and everything is kind of this. I guess I it's guess a, Maria Sklodowska became Marie Curie. No, totally. It's just yeah. apparently is what you got to do. Yeah, it's like a rite of passage. It's Change a, your name. It's like a superhero. It's like they got married to science and changed their first name <laughs> he, instead he of their last name. He did get married to science. That is basically yeah. what he did. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that I found that was amazing. So, like, his father was a farmer, right? Mm-hmm. He grew up, like, grafting different fruit tree branches right. onto the orchard. Beekeeping, all that good stuff. And he's super smart. And he's like, I want to learn more. I want a higher education. And the price that he pays for that, the way to make it happen, is to join a monastery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not really how people do it anymore. You know, are we missing out? <laughs> Should we have joined a nunnery at some point? Well, I thought it was really cute that when, you know, it was actually a local priest who noticed how smart he was and said, you have to send this boy to school Mm because he can, nothing will stop him. He's really smart, clearly. Like, let's do this. And so, you know, so they sent him off to a school when he was 11, you know, to make ends meet, you know, Mendel's working, he's tutoring other students for 
God, I'm assuming just pocket change, although maybe the other kids were really rich. And so, you know, some some money yeah. was being funneled from their parents, you know, so so he's working really hard studying and mentoring students so that he can make ends meet while his parents are totally financially strapped mm-hmm. to, to, to have him at that school. And he overworks himself so much that he just basically collapses into about two bouts of depression that he has to go home and recover from because yep. he's just spreading himself too thin. And apparently it was a stress related kind of illness. Like he never finished, I think, his his exam for his PhD because he just couldn't handle the stress. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. He was around the same time as Darwin and working on, you know, not the same thing by any means, but similar things. Right. And, you know, they were so both so sensitive and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, these poor, these poor guys just want to hug them. I feel, if only oh. they could have been BFFs. Yeah. That would have been interesting. But yeah, so the whole reason why he became a monk is because this, this uh, Dr. Franz, who was an Augustinian monk, recommended him to be a monk at St. Thomas Monastery. Mm-hmm. So he was like, well, this kid needs an education and you guys need monks. So here's my solution. And he totally did it at age 21. He, yeah. he joined as a novice. I know his his dad, parents rather, parents wanted him to just come back and, and work on and do the farm because yeah. it had been it, in the family for 130 years. Yeah. And he was the only boy and, you know, and they have two other daughters and mm-hmm. they were like, hey, we, we need you to come back. Well, it all ended up kind of OK, because didn't they just sell the farm to one of the sister's husbands? So it kind of stayed in the family. Is that anyway? what happened? Because yeah. I was going to say, I wonder how what his fa- family relationship was like after he was like, sorry, guys, yeah. good luck with the farm. I think I'm it go. wasn't ideal, but it was not as bad as it could have been mm. like it stayed in the family it's not like everything went to hell after he took off but yeah I, it, he was very close with his family i think i think both of his parents were interested in botany and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so he came from that background how could he not end up being married to pea plants yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is what happens oh, everyone Oh, greg <laughs> but what if i did a comic about this a long time ago i was uh-huh. just like what if he'd been really into underwater basket weaving something really time consuming and he didn't raise all these pea plants yeah we, we would have taken a lot longer to figure out heredity well apparently he raised all sorts of plants mm-hmm. and he also kept bees mm-hmm. yeah he's really into bees yeah i read that he planted a whole bunch of different flowers on a on a nearby hill so that the bees could have a place to didn't gather. he call them no- nature's noblest creatures or something like yeah, that and like his or dearest their, little yeah, animals his, his little sweet yeah oh, <laughs> oh i love bees <laughs> I mean, so he's married bees. to bees too. Yeah, he'd be so sad about about bees' situation right yeah, now. Yeah, he'd be bummed. We wouldn't tell Ooh, him. Yeah, we wouldn't know. We just leave that out of the conversation. He is too sensitive yeah. to hear that information. He would just get depressed. <laughs> but he also did. Uh, he was into meteorology, so oh, he that's did right. all sorts of God. weather observations. Yeah, and apparently, even I think that in 1870 there was a tornado that struck the town and the monastery. And kid was out there, like, taking down observations, like, well, the funnel is spinning this way, and this is how big like, it is, and oh, look how close it is, oh, my run. God, you're going to die. He's like, no, no, I'm, just, I'm not done with my like, notes. Oh, no, 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 God, no, one more number, and, you know. He was the first storm chaser. <laughs> yeah, so he had kind of, like, I don't know, a badass wild side, yeah. in a way. The kid's chasing tornadoes. So yeah, this does not help with, with what I said about him being very sensitive. So he's kind of, like... So he's like a superhero that just has a really soft side. So he's the Hulk. Okay, we're good. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) So let's see. So he went to theological seminary once he joined the monastery, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what you got to do. You got to figure all that stuff out. Um, We don't really know how religious he was before he joined the monastery, even how religious he was. Yeah, he didn't really seem to dig it too much. I mean, 
he he was he had a really hard <laughs> Dig time. It, oh, stop it! <laughs> he had a really hard time with some of the duties, like visiting the sick and the dying. Yeah, you know, and being he like, couldn't I it. can't do this. <laughs> They're like, all right, you be a substitute teacher. <laughs> I know, but then he failed the teaching exam. <laughs> he yeah, he had what problems. is on this teaching but, exam? But the cool thing is, is that his his abbot Abbot Knapp, right, is this cool guy. I mean, honestly, this monastery yeah. sounds like seriously. They kind of really helped him out. It's amazing. So yeah. this abbot was very interested in recruiting intellectual talent to the monastery. Like he set out to find people who were interested in the sciences and, and the arts and kind of created a space for them to, alongside their religious duties, to just do whatever they wanted, like their research or, you know, literary research or whatever. So that's why he was interested in, in Gregor. He was like, oh, this kid is perfect. Yeah. We'll put him in here. He's going places. So this abbot like watched out for him mm-hmm. and he... He was the one who, after, you know, Gregor failed the exam, was like, well, let's not give up on him. Let's let's send him to the University of Vienna for two years and yeah, let's go have beef learn up some his education yeah, and yeah. then he can come back and take the exam and everything will be fine. So that worked out really well for Gregor because this is all he wanted out of life was yeah. so, higher education. So fail your tests and then go to school and learn a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. I, I I like this this situation that he wound him wound up in. Well, so that's good. He ended up studying under Christian Doppler, which, if that name sounds familiar, it's because it's the Doppler the effect. The Doppler effect, which is well known from Star Wars, because of <laughs> exactly that is the Doppler effect. Like it sounds like the pitch is changing, but it's not actually not. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of where you are mm-hmm. when it goes by. Um, and then he also studied. Did you read about uh, Professor Franz Unger? I did, but I didn't go into it. Tell me. Okay. Tell me so all about it. Franz Unger was, uh, he was teaching botany at the university. And he was super interested in studying the variation in plants, like the variation of their characteristics. Mm-hmm. And he was also, he also emphasized with the students, like, we don't know a lot about this field. Like, no one has really figured any of this out. Um, he was also uh, one of the believers in uh, the fact that uh, an offspring was formed by one sperm and one egg Mm -hmm. both equal contributions from the two parents which apparently was not a popular theory at the time yeah that was kind of a new thing which now sounds very basic to us i know but this was this was in the 1850s i know it was not that long ago i i know god there was some some jerk off who like looked into a microscope at a sperm and thought he saw a little person inside of it human sperm not you know not only not it, it's not just people that have sperm and eggs you know like pretty much everything is sperm and eggs so so he's like oh look a little person's in there so that's how life happens yep. you know the sperm brings everything mm-hmm. and the egg is just this hollow case that receives it and then it grows yeah and there were two fields of thought one was what was it? i wrote it down spermist versus ovist it sounds like the worst fight ever (laughs) well i am an ovist (laughs) it's so funny that they got it that it's so backwards because sperm bring less to the table like genetically yes they bring half although slightly less than half if you consider mitochondrial dna because that's all from mom because basically (laughs) the cell the, the 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 egg has like everything but some extra DNA that they need to make the you know the full set. Uh-huh. So that's what the sperm brings, and but that's it. So you, t- you actually get a, a little bit more inf- more stuff 
and a little more information because there's DNA in the, in your mitochondria you get from your mom. So you get a little more stuff from your mom, but whatever. Yeah. Most of all, it's 50-50. So yeah, it was like this huge thing for it to be actually 50-50. Well, it Again, took them the Victorians, a long... They didn't even Victorians see very, a mm. human egg for the first time until 1827. Mm-hmm. And that was less than 25 years before Gregor went to school and was right. learning from this guy. So... Then they kind of, you know, that kind of started the whole idea of, oh, maybe the sperm and the egg are equivalent cells. They're both sex cells, even though one is much bigger than the other one. They weren't sure. I mean, this kind of led them down the path to realizing that, you know, hereditary information was included in the nucleus of a Mm -hmm. cell and not just like floating around somewhere else. Um, But yeah, so I guess the the lesson of this was that they understood, people understood that sex led to babies. (laughs) But they had no idea yeah, how the, the reproduction details, actually yeah. worked. Mm, no. They didn't know how a fetus was formed. They didn't understand like what the cells did. They were just completely lost, and everyone was free to come up with their own theory. Yeah, it was until the total dark ages. I mean, it hadn't really changed that much since we first associated. You know, when we were like living in caves, like yeah. oh. We did that and this thing happened. But meanwhile, <laughs> alongside these theories of like, oh, everything comes from the egg or everything comes from the sperm, were people had a general knowledge of, of how to breed animals and plants. Like they still understood that characteristics came from both. So it was just like a hot I know, mess. I know. It's weird. I, it's, I think it's just one of those situations where, yeah, you're just kind of selectively blind to things. Mm-hmm. You're just doing something because it's a habit or it's routine, or it's just, but you don't really, really understand conceptually what it is you're doing or why it works. Yeah, I think it's so funny that we knew stuff about it. We were, we'd already bred tons of different kinds of dogs. Yep. We'd already done Horses, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, cattle. We'd, we'd done all kinds of things with domesticated animals. Yeah, to- total crops we had completely changed. I mean, that's civilization. Crops. Basis of civilization yeah, a- a- was a- this. Yeah, exactly. Every culture. It was not like this was just, you know, Europeans. I mean, yeah. have you seen what corn really looked like before people, you know, pe- like people in, in North and South America got a hold of it? It, like it doesn't even do anything. It's like, there's nothing to eat. It's little, you know, the little corn yeah. is like two inches long and there's like no kernels on it. Yeah. So... so- yeah, we did that, <laughs> but then they come. Someone's saying that it's like half and half of yeah. from each parent. They're like, no. What? See, as basic as the sex talk these days sounds, which is yeah. when a man and a, a woman love each other very much, a sperm two, meets the egg and a baby love is made. Each other very much. And then they're like, don't have sex. And then like, <laughs> compared to the sex talk, you know, 150 years ago, which was when a man and a woman love each other very much, uh, and magic, magic, seminal vapor, a baby is made. <laughs> don't have sex. <laughs> I just like it because you know how when there's ever, you know, two arguments that are just so completely opposed on to opposite sides of the spectrum the answer is always pretty much in the middle mm-hmm. it's like this time it literally was in every possible way it <laughs> yep. was just like oh, i believe it's a hundred percent egg oh i believe it's a hundred percent sperm guess what guys it's 50 yeah. 50 and, and the argument was finally laid to rest in the 1870s when they first observed the fusion of an egg and a sperm oh. and they were like oh aha uh-huh. okay this actually happens then Ta-da! but yeah <laughs> 1870s that's that's i know pretty late yeah less than 150 years ago oh well <sighs> so let's catch up with mendel so yeah. he goes to school studies math a lot of math a lot of physics mm-hmm. hangs out with doppler and they all just sit around going Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> i imagine i think doppler probably did that a lot when he was drunk just like yeah. running back and forth yeah. it's like this is it you guys this is it anyway. i wonder how much he would love star wars or you know racing <laughs> like uh I don't know what car racing is called. These what what is the thing? The NAS, race NASCAR. NASCAR. Oh my God. 
God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm the worst American ever. So <laughs> I agree. So he so he uh, so he goes back and then gets a teaching gig again that he has for a good 14 years. Mm-hmm. Never actually gets his permanent teaching certif- certificate. He failed the test again, you guys. But it's okay. He taught at a school he where like he didn't actually meltdown. need it. Yeah. I really want to know what was on this test because he's great with math and physics. Super bright kid. Just Every- a bad test taker. Oh my. Yeah. So. I, again, this is why I do think that it'd be so great if we learned more about scientists as humans when we were in school, because I think it would make people feel a lot better because it's like, we just, we say what they did and that they existed. And so you just imagine that there were these infallible, perfect beings that never failed a test and never did it, never made a mistake or never had a a moment, just a brain fart moment. He brain farted two times, like the biggest brain farts (laughs) ever on a teaching test. And never got his doctorate. Yeah. He was just like, nope. And just, and and had a total breakdown. We've all been there. Who hasn't had a total breakdown about something school related? Well, guess what, you guys? Johan... Gregor Mendel, or like Gregor Johann Mendel, did too. Yep. It's okay to be okay. And it didn't stop him from sciencing yeah, man. for the rest of his yeah. life. Yeah, this idea, like, I think that people really do think if you, if there's one science test, science test or one science class even that, that just doesn't work, you're like, well, I guess I guess I shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Yeah. It's but that's how college courses are constructed. The mm-hmm. weeding out, like, yeah, yeah, oh, chem yeah. courses and all that. Ugh, not a good idea. You lose out on talent like Gregor Mendel. All right. So it was while he was teaching... Uh, being a secondary school teacher, that he did all of his his pea plant stuff, but uh, he I guess he wasn't necessarily going to work with peas from the get go. Even though he did grow up on a farm and all that stuff, he wanted to do it with mice. Oh, really? But he, yeah, he was totally like set to do some genetic experiments with mice, but he just didn't like the guy that worked with the mice. <laughs> That's fortunate because mice, I don't know if you guys know this, are much more complicated yeah, than people. <laughs> they have a lot Who more knew? traits. Yeah, yeah. They move I around. I guess you could work with albinism or something, but other than that, it's like, oh, I don't know, guys. Yeah, it's like, this mouse is nice. This one is mean. Like, it's like the tall and short pea plants. Like, yeah. I don't, there wouldn't be as many things. But, uh, but yeah, so he went with plants in, you know, instead and picked pea plants, the same kind of peas that we eat. And... It worked out really well because they do have all these different characteristics that are kind of all or nothing, which right. is not true of other plants. Well, because so what he, chose what he was the right really one. interested in was figuring out a- anything to do with hybrids, mm-hmm. because that was important to farmers. Like if they, they have like some not so good corn and not so good corn, they want to try to crossbreed it and see if they can get a better variety. Right. So that's that was his focus. I mean, he came from a farming family, 130 years of history on that. So that's what he wanted to do. And he, he, he figured it out. Yeah, man. So, so this guy, I mean, it was just shy of 30,000 plants that he, when all was said and done, Crazy. that was how many plants he, you know, crossed and grew from seed so that he could, you know, wait very patiently and see if like what color the seed was and, you know, where the flowers grew, all that stuff. So yeah, like I think it was 28,000 plants that's 28,000 plants that is a lot of peas do you think the monastery was so tired <laughs> do you think like they... split pea soup again like oh my god we should ask him for his split pea soup oh recipe i bet he has one we should make a science cookbook <laughs> a science brunch cookbook <laughs> like have you know like the split pe- mendel's split breaker's pea kitchen soup. it's nothing but peas <laughs> don't get me wrong i like peas so if you remember back to high school biology you probably remember a few of the things he was looking at. So he was looking at height because mm-hmm. they're really either tall or short. Right. Not really anything in the middle. It's like it's tall or it's short. The pea pod 
is either um, like the shape of it is either kind of puffy and nice and full, or it's really constricted and kind of like fitting along all of the actual individual seeds. Got it. And then the pod is either green or yellow, mm-hmm. really easy, and there's nothing in between. The seed itself is either round or really wrinkled, and it's either yellow or green. And then lastly, the flowers he looked at, which are either purple or white, again, mm-hmm. like just one or the other. And then the flowers either grow sort of like axially or terminally. So either at like the top of the stem or like halfway up the stem. Okay. So you can, so where it, where it grows on the plant was another thing that's all or nothing. And again, it's like, there are, there are other examples that don't fit this. Mm-hmm. And it's really good that he didn't work with those because he would have been so confused. He yeah, might not he looked have, out. Yeah. Like some, some like plants, if you cross a red and a white, you get a pink. Exactly. So, ah! Exactly. <laughs> Which you can also figure out using the methods that he developed. Right. But fortunately, he, he lucked out with just the basics. He didn't get into anything too, too complicated. Right. So he was able to tease all this stuff out. So he was able to realize that some things were dominant and recessive. And he was one who used those words. So when you talk about a recessive trait, mm-hmm. that goes straight back to Gregor saying, oh, this is recessive. Yeah. So, this is dominant. So when people were creating hybrids, they, they realized that if they you know took one kind and mixed it with another, they would get a certain mix it, it, they it looked it kind, kind of, of random. Like, but yeah, but they thought everything was mixing kind of equally. They mm-hmm. kind of thought everything was pureed together. You know what right. I mean? They like basically kind of how Gregor was wound up looking at it instead of the the prevailing wisdom, which was like, oh yeah, you mix things together and it's just like this big just you know, soup that you've put an immersion blender in. It's just like it's all whatever. Like yeah. you can't make out individual pieces. But he was like, No, no, this is chili. Like you can still separate all these individual pieces out. Mm-hmm. Like it hasn't been pureed. Like you can actually, you know, tease all this stuff apart. So but yeah, and again, it's funny. So they thought that hybrids or you know, just genetics in general was everything just blended together mm-hmm. and that's just how it worked. I mean, well, he kept track of so many traits in so many plants over eight years. My husband and I are trying to start a garden right now or like get it going again. So we just planted some seeds and we have all those little, little seed starter things like little peat balls. You just like stick the seed in them. And the little container you keep them in while they're sprouting is very nicely arranged so you can keep track of which ones are which. But we didn't do that. So there's probably we have no memory of what each of them is. So I would be terrible at this. Like we full on have sprouts that are really, you know, nice and like ready to be planted outside now. We have no clue what they are. Yeah. And apparently he got this way because, he, I mean, he got to be very regimented about this because when he worked with his dad, like grafting different tree branches, you have to be very precise straight, and yeah. you have to keep it straight and you have to do it very carefully so that it will take... And then he went to university where he fig- where he learned you know how to do like scientific experiments, and so he was just like, all right, I'm taking all this down. And so yeah, he must have had tons and tons and tons of notes on this stuff because it was after eight years that he wrote his papers. Right. You know what I I remember in school I just had no idea what they kept what they meant when they said that he was uh, crossbreeding them or having them self self fertilize or cross fertilize. I was like, what like. How was he doing that? I, I just, I didn't, I couldn't visualize what mm. it was that he was actually doing. I understood the concept of like, oh yeah, he crossed these two plants. But I didn't understand that that really meant that he was like snipping flowers off of one uh-huh. and collecting all the pollen and seriously like going over to another plant and taking the pollen and brushing it onto the flowers. Yep. I didn't know that that's what he, I just was like, oh yeah, he just did it. I, I guess the details aren't important. Yeah, I, I thought he just put the plants next to each other and they, you know, had a romantic time. Yeah, or then... he just like pushes them together like they're dolls. <laughs> like, you know, uh, like he used to play with Barbie. He's like, oh yeah, this is doing <laughs> it. It's fine. 
this is so romantic. Um, but yeah, I just, and then I think, yeah, he would either snip them off or he'd cover the flowers mm-hmm. and then he would basically say like, you're not going to have sex with anybody. Little flower condom. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what little flower condoms looked like. I just wonder what the bags? Catholic Church thought of all of this. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think they'd be a big fan of this now. All this like flower sex happening. I know. This, I know. This guy. Good thing is he's making it all was, happen. Was into intellectual inquiry. Otherwise, things could have gone differently. Yeah, for he's Gregor. like doing in vitro, in vitro fertilization on these plants. Yeah. He's just like I will do. He's this. playing God. He's playing God with pea plants and bees. Terrible. I know. Just what a terrible, terrible, terrible person. But yeah, so that was what he was actually doing. I mean, I. Because I didn't realize that. I wonder how many people are just like, what What was he actually doing? And I, I just, again, I wish that my teacher or my textbook or something had kind of gone into just a little more detail, A, so I could appreciate it more, and B, I don't know, just kind of to really visualize like how much work yeah. this was or what it really entails to it. cross a plant with another plant. And it means, it means that you're doing weird things with the flowers. <laughs> just so everybody knows. <laughs> Um, well, uh, so what he came up with was kind of laws that showed how inheritance happened. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of, I think, boiled those down to three Mendelian laws. Is that, is that what they're called? There are two main ones, but yeah, like the law of segregation. Right. Which sounds racist, but it's not. It's not. (laughs) Okay. Here's the thing. I actually think these have terrible names. So there's the law of segregation, and then there's the law of independent assortment. Mm-hmm. So they sound so similar because like yeah. they're about separating things. Right. So I think that he really messed up these names. The, the, the segregation one is just saying that basically that we form gametes, that we for, form sperm and eggs that have half the information that they need mm-hmm. to make the whole. So they have to come back together, you know, come together to actually make a new organism. Right. So a hybrid with two characteristics, short and tall in its inheritance, you know, in its right. heredity, right. those two characteristics separate when it has offspring. Right. So the, yeah, the segregating is basically, he was talking about meiosis. He didn't, he had, didn't see it. He didn't have that name for it yet. They no didn't know what chromosomes but were. Yeah, but when you make when you make your eggs, ladies, or you make your sperm, fellas, like you are doing meiosis. You have one cell that has all your information. It's it's and things line up and they split in half and they split in half again. So you get four, four sperm. Or for ladies, you get one egg and three. Like just whatever. Nobody cares about them because all of this stuff goes into one. <laughs> Long story. Oh my god, I'm getting so into the weeds. I'm sorry, but but yeah, but they each have one piece of each of the you know the genes that you actually need. So that's mm-hmm. the segregation part. Is just that oh you have you have X and X, mm-hmm. but you only one of those X's is going to make it into one of your eggs. And then the law of independent assortment is that none of them are really connected to each other. Like your eye color is not tied to how tall you are, which or... is true most of the time, right? Um, I mean, this is all caveated because yes. he didn't account for mutations or, you know, any well, he of the didn't random know about stuff chromosomes, that right. So he didn't know that if things are on the same chromosome, then things actually can be linked. So, yeah, in the, for the most part, being tall doesn't mean you'll be smart. Having blue eyes doesn't mean that you'll have... Well, actually, sometimes it does mean you'll have red hair. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so these things are all separate. However, mm-hmm. if they're on the same chromosome, they are often inherited together. Right. And that was a whole other piece of it, a piece that we had to figure out later on was like which things are in which chromosome. And there's a really complicated way to do that. And then the mutations but, came into it, too, because as we said before, Darwin was alive at this time working separately. Also um, with a lot of plants and talking about cross fertilization. So they man, would have been just, best friends, I'm yeah, telling you. Yeah. But so, yeah, so people were trying to figure out like if what Darwin said was true, that, you know, things that are that they are finding in fossils have living relatives today, which are different, though. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? 
um, just passing along, you know, your heredity to your hybrid offspring doesn't explain everything. There has to also be kind of a mutation component and all this, all this different stuff. So they were still figuring all of that out. And uh, Gregor was just kind of like one step in this process. Yeah. And then he also figured out that some traits are dominant Mm -hmm. and some are recessive, which means, you know, if you have one allele of being tall, you're going to be tall no matter what. Um, Which is true for plants, but not really for people. Yeah. So, yeah. And then that's the other thing. Like if he had studied mice, he never would have figured out a bunch of stuff because it's way too complicated. Genes are connected. So that whole thing. Yeah. So all these traits, if they are just one, there's one gene for it and you have you know, the allele, which is the type you have. So there's like the allele for tall or the allele for short. We call those Mendelian traits because they're mm-hmm. very, they, they are just really simple. And there are a lot of things that work that way. Um, unfortunately, the ones we learned about in school, like the rolling your tongue and the attached earlobes uh-huh. and the that. widow's peak. Oh, what are the other ones? Widow's peak. Ah, oh, something about your fingers. Yeah, if you like cross your fingers, which thumb is on top. Yeah. Uh, Cleft chin. Yeah. Those were things that I remember learning in school, too, that are all supposedly Mendelian. So it's like, oh, if neither of your parents can roll their tongue, then you can't roll your tongue either uh-huh. and all this stuff. It's not true. What? I'm so sorry. I'm my, so sorry. It's my not entire true. belief system is crashing down around me right now. And it's funny because even when I was in high school, I was like, you know, these, yeah, they're, it's one little thing. It's like, oh, are your earlobes attached or not? But I'm yeah. like, but, but how could that be a simple Mendelian thing? It's not like there's one protein that's only in your earlobe that makes it attached or something or the, or the, you know, the widow's peak or, or anything like how would one? cause again, one gene means it's one protein. Yeah. How could one protein difference make that big of a visual difference? Like a widow's peak. I clearly did not think this far ahead. <laughs> So there's, I don't, and I don't even know where it came from as, as the scientific myth that it is, but it's just not true. What, like a, a good example that would, that it's not visual. So I, I guess, you know, people just started using any visual example that they could have, if there was any suggestion that it was going to be Mendelian and like really simple inheritance, but blood types are Mendelian. Right. So you could always do it that way. But of course it requires people knowing what their blood type is. And a lot of people don't. So that's not as easy. I knew mine at one time and now I, I don't remember it. Although the other downside of doing these simple exercises in class with you as an example is that it can get into some very touchy areas with your students. A, adoption. If they're adopted, they're not going to be able to do anything with their actual biological parents. So they're left out. That's not cool. But if they know it, it's still not that bad. You just explain it to the teacher. That's what happened to me. Like I had adopted members in my family and I was like, I can't my genetic chart far. is not going to make sense. And she was like, whatever, it's fine. Just write down. <laughs> <laughs> just fill out the chart, honey. <laughs> yep. But um, but there are truly examples. Uh, blood type was one of them because that is just really cut and dry. And yep. there are things that aren't possible in terms of genetics that someone found out that their dad was not their dad while they were in high school biology. God. So I would encourage my fellow biology teachers... Not to do that. Maybe maybe teach this in the abstract. Don't use or use yourself as an example or yeah, something. Yeah. So it can get, you know, the truth sometimes is not something people want to know. Yeah, that's an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. They get home and the parent's like, can we please just have the sex talk again? Because yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to explain this. I mean, especially when, you know, sometimes 
I mean, I mean, you know, maybe the dad didn't know, maybe the mom had like a vague idea, but yeah. so they obviously they give us information willingly. I mean, I'm assuming that this student in question didn't look up their parents' blood types without them knowing. So they maybe gave, they don't realize. Uh, yeah, so they how probably didn't know. Yeah, they yeah. probably didn't know that you could wind up with a I situation mean, where it's impossible for that to be your dad. This is the first step in paternity tests. The first thing they do is test blood, and, yeah. so, and so they can immediately rule, rule something out yeah, exactly. or anything. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so that was that's uh an interesting social side of looking into your your genetics. Do you know your blood type, by the way? I don't. I don't remember it. Oh. I should know it. I'm B negative. I got a bad score on the blood test. It's like the lowest score you can get. <laughs> Not A plus or A neg. I'm B neg. See, I would do it and be like D minus. <laughs> I got like an 82% on the test. No, um, which is cool because, well, I don't know. Cool or maybe not cool, because it's so rare. Mm -hmm. So that means that when I did give blood the first time and they found out I was being negative, they just kept calling. Yeah. Like, come back. Don't leave me alone. It's really, it's 2% of the world has B negative blood. Just because the B antigen... So, so when you do blood type stuff, it's both Mendelian. Like if it's ABO, that's mm-hmm. like straight up Mendelian, you know how it works. But then the plus and minus is also Mendelian. So it'd be like tall with wrinkled seeds. When he mm-hmm. combined two things when he was looking at his pea plants, that's what your blood type is too. So B is really is really rare. And also being negative because you have to have two negatives. It's the recessive. That's really rare too. Hmm. So put them together and it's like 2%. I hope I don't need a bunch of blood transfusions. <laughs> so yeah, so all of this information is really important, right? And so he, he gave a lecture about this, about his findings in 1865. And he wrote a paper about it, published... Straight up called Experiments on Plant Hybrids. Yep, it was Good title. published in the Proceedings of the Natural Science Society of Brune. And then no one, no one cared. read it or cared yeah. until 1900, mm-hmm. which was a long time later. He was already dead at that point. And people that did read it totally misunderstood it. They thought it was confirming something that they that this kind of erroneous view about hybrids. That it it seems like they simultaneously thought that hybrids could just blend together and be like that forever, but that they would also like you couldn't create a whole new species from hybrids, mm-hmm. like that they always reverted to kind of what they were. There was this weird, so basically when he said, oh yeah, the recessive can get covered up for a generation, but then look, like it'll pop back up at the rate of, you know, one out of every four will have that recessive trait again. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, because it all stays the same. Okay, cool, thanks, thanks buddy. Like just confirmed what I thought I knew, Yeah, done. And I mean, they didn't really go into any- Clearly they were still yeah. <laughs> figuring things out. And, and the guy, um, well, actually several scientists simultaneously kind of, started citing Mendel's paper and then uh, William Bateson was he like he saw that all these scientists were citing him and so he reread the paper and then he kind of uh, started the whole study of genetics he was actually the one who coined the term gene in 1909 so uh, Gregor never used those terms mm-hmm. and he's referred to as the father of genetics um, I feel like he's actually the grandfather of genetics and then it skipped a generation and then yeah. like his children were ungrateful and he's didn't like appreciate him. He's like the godfather him. <laughs> of genetics. Yeah, that's much cooler. That, yeah. That's much cooler. Yeah, he's the, he's the, yeah, he's not the father, well, he's the father of modern genetic, you know, and heredity, like how we think about it. But yeah, he was more like the father of pea plants and the godfather of genetics. Yeah, and he did pretty well. He he became abbot after Abbot Knapp died in uh, 1868, and he continued the whole tradition of recruiting intellectual talent to the monastery, mm-hmm. which is very nice. And apparently he also like renovated some of the buildings, and uh, 
But he didn't yeah. do a whole lot of more science because that really took up a right. lot of time. That the, took like, all abiding, the administrative stuff. I mean, that's the whole consuming. the classic uh, problem of scientists who become administrators. Yeah. Um, but he, he had a beehive painted on the ceiling of the Great Chapter Hall. Oh, that's cool. Because, <laughs> you know, he loves bees. I read that he spent a lot of time fighting a new tax law that was put on the Yeah, the, uh, yeah. The so the Habsburg Empire, you know, decided to impose a tax on all monasteries, and he thought that was unjust. And so he's like, I'm not paying. Yeah. So he basically spent all his time fighting that and yeah. getting in trouble for not paying the taxes that he was like i'm opposed to these i'm not giving you anything but it wasn't that he was stingy he actually so his sister teresia who gave him her dowry so that he could go to school and help support him during school she had three sons and he put all of them through high school and university Aww. he paid for all of it that's so sweet so yeah he he was a nice guy and he also like apparently uh contributed some money so that the village could start a fire department because their their stuff kept burning down oh my god <laughs> Yeah. So then he he died. Eighteen eighty four. Kidney failure. Congestive heart failure. Because yeah. he had uh, he had Bright's disease. Yeah, I'd never it's heard like, of that. Yeah, I had to look Some it up. Some kidney related chronic thing. inflammation of the kidneys. Yeah, no fun. Uh, no fun. But his legacy. Yeah. Popped up years later. So he was one of those that no one knew about. While he was alive and no one really paid any attention, he was not a big... I mean, obviously, he had other things to do, so he didn't market himself very mm-hmm. much. I think he only printed up 40, co- fo- yep. 40 copies of his paper and, and only and gave a out of a them few of them. of them weren't read. Yeah, so it was just like, uh... And, you know, that didn't really matter to him, so he might not even really have cared that it kind of worked out that way. But uh, I, I find it so funny, again, that it's like... He and Darwin overlapped. Darwin was looking at plants. You know, Mendel was looking at plants. And then when he when he was rediscovered by Bateson in the 1900s, there was at first like still some misunderstandings, and so it was kind of a Men- Mendel versus Darwin fight. Yeah, like they called it the Mendelians versus the Darwinists. Yep, <laughs> they like evolved from Ovist versus Spermist. Yeah, to it's like, Mendel what are we Darwin. doing again? We're all working on the same puzzle. And they think they're at odds. It's like, no, no, no. Those pieces are just, they're just next to each other. You don't have to fight over it. Like, it's all part of the same puzzle, you guys. You gotta, you gotta make your own fun. I know. It's like the sports teams of science. So if we could time travel, we'd go back and slap all those I jokers. Know. I know. And then I, I think I would bring him a, a solar-powered iPad or iPod full of Barry White songs <laughs> that he can listen to while he's cross-pollinating all of his plants. Yeah, man, so much work. And it, and it didn't even take him that long. He was only he was doing it for seven years or yeah, so. Yeah, seven or eight years. I feel like that's a lifetime worth of work. I know. I mean, I'm talking like decades. And that's the other thing. In school, I really thought that he did this all the time. Me too. And kind of forever. Me too. Not seven years. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's crazy. How many, like, what is, how many plants is that a day? <laughs> God, <laughs> what are you doing? It was a lot of pollinating, hence the Barry White album. Yeah, what did I say? So like, so I want to see what this is because he did like 28,000 plants. He grew like plant, 10 plants a day, dude. Actually 11. Wow. He didn't, that's, and that's like not and even taking over, a day off. That's, that's over, over seven, seven years. years. That's a lot. That's a lot of plants. Well, he had a plot that was, you know... It was like 20, I mean, that's an average. 2,600 so he, so he, square feet. Yeah, so he must have just been planting, 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 yeah. planting. It was just crazy. But I mean, that it can't be every year either, or every day either, because, you know, there was winter and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's an average. So that means on some days he was planting like 100 seeds or something. Crazy. He was really slacking off as a monk. Jeez, seven years. Well, I would definitely have brunch with him. Yeah, man, he sounds awesome. He sounds and he'd awesome. bring food. 
Yeah. He'd bring pee-related everything. And probably a bunch of honey because he liked bees so much. Oh, yes. So he's he worth inviting just coming. for that. I'm going to put that honey on like a nice warm biscuit with some butter. Mm. And we'd bring Darwin too since they never met in real life. <gasps> That's a great idea. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, we can we can set people up on science-blind dates during And then brunch. you and I would talk the whole time and they would stare awkwardly at each other. <laughs> It sounds like most brunches. <laughs> this no, is true. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not our brunches. No. So I don't know who we're going to talk about next. We'll figure it out. And <laughs> we'll try to not both do the same person. Uh. Well, we hope you enjoyed learning about our really good friend, Johan, a.k.a. Grendel. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that is incorrect. His do name not combine is Gregor Mendel. His first and last name. Never, ever do that. Grendel for short. I kind of like that. I like that as a nickname. Well, thank you so much for listening to Science Brunch. Today, again, we learned all about Gregor Mendel, and I learned that I could never have done any of these experiments or been Gregor Mendel in a past life because I can't even keep my backyard garden straight. And I learned that high school biology is nothing but lies. Please make sure to subscribe in iTunes and rate and review. Visit us on sciencebrunch.org and eat your peas. And we'll see you next time. Give peas a chance.